The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power. Hello and welcome to Port Fan Radio. I've oh, got a bit of a special one tonight, um, but uh, I'm Portia and joining me as always is Rick. Hello, Rick. Portia, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, and I've probably asked something a little bit of you, but I'm not going to because I've got a really good guest tonight, and that's um, Keith Thomas, CEO of the Portadale Football Club. Uh, welcome, Keith. Welcome to Port Fan Radio. Well, thank you very much, guys. It's uh, a very, very great privilege, I've got to say. Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> I, 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 I've heard I a lot like about Port Fan Radio and uh, never, never been invited on before. I feel uh, this is a little bit special, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. All right. Um, well, look, I mean, the purpose... Oh, not the purpose... I suppose the big news and the big thing, I suppose, that the whole league is looking at Port Adelaide for at the moment is probably our China initiative. Um, and um, I don't know, uh, I guess we'd just really like to hear a little bit about that and what it means for the, the Port Adelaide Football Club and I guess what it means, you know, for the, the whole of the club, the whole of the Port Adelaide community. Um, mm-hmm. Do you anything you'd like to say on that, uh, Keith? Yes, well, look, it's, it's, been, um, it's been a really interesting process uh, right from the start and it probably, I guess people have known that we've been um, flirting with China for nearly you know, probably around three years now and uh, started with a uh, just um, a conversation you know between uh, friends of ours in in Hong Kong and you know, Dennis Wei I think he's a he's a he's a port fan radio fan and uh, uh, and the Hong Kong footy club and we, we we started to talk to them about um, the potential of um, doing something uh, in in China, and, and it really was as a result of this thought about the need to grow uh, the club. And um, that might seem a little bit strange, but you know, in 2012, when uh, well, I started late 2011, but in 2012 we, we were starting the process of just rebuilding Port Adelaide to its exist, you know, to its previous um, levels of strength and. You know, we dug ourselves into a bit of a hole back then, and um, I think that we had uh, the Adelaide Oval on our mind, and uh, we we knew that that would be a bit transformational, uh, and that turned out that way, and we and we were very proud of our ability to um, to do that. But the reality was really obvious um, very early on, which was even with uh, the Port Adelaide fan base um, coming back in full full force and supporting us, you know, with 60,000 members and Adelaide Oval, you know, we negotiated a really strong um, stadium deal, which is serving us well. And people are going to the Oval uh, en masse. Um, I think we're averaging, you know, over 40,000 people a game now. Uh, we've got much better corporate support. If you think about our, our, our big corporate partners these days, it's, it's Renault and Energy Australia and Oak and Bank SA and UBET and all these sort of people, you know, great, great companies, plus all of the um, the loyal local support that we've been able to uh, enjoy. Even with all of that and with a footy team that's performing pretty well, the upside for a club like ours um, isn't going to position us uh, at the top of the tree financially. In fact, it'll get us to about mid-range. Yeah. And so we started thinking about 
how do we grow? You know, where, you know where, 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 where do you go from here? And you really, if you think about it from the point of view of, okay, so you've got to then go to non-Port Adelaide people who are probably living outside of South Australia. So, you know, what are our chances of getting people from Sydney and Queensland or the Northern Territory or wherever to barrack for Port Adelaide and passionately support them? And it was, it seemed tough. Uh, and contested. You know, we were we would be competing against rugby league and other AFL clubs, and so that our mind then went towards China, um, and China was or is a really important trading partner of South Australia and Australia. Our government was, um, you know, really keen on pushing pushing in that direction, and to be honest, we just thought. Is it any harder to open up a conversation with the Chinese community than who haven't got any any rusted on ideas about what Australian footy is or who Port Adelaide is than trying to convince people from another state inside Australia? And we thought, you know what, it's no harder, and the upside may be fifty times better. So why don't we try that? And that's that's really where it started. Yeah, um, I guess just um, as far as you talk about competing with rugby league and other things and maybe you don't have exclusivity, um, one concern that's, I suppose, on my mind is that um, back you know, 20 years ago now, when North Melbourne were the Friday night football team, I mean, they did all the hard work and they built the, the demand for it uh, and got it stolen away. So I'm just wondering if we've had any assurances yeah. from the AFL that it's not going to become a Gold Coast Suns initiative at some point or... Um, it's really... Yeah, no, it's a really, really good question. And um, we, uh, so what what we did was we, we went away and actually started to build our relationships in China on our own. So we went and spent two years working with the Hong Kong Footy Club, sponsoring Team China, sponsoring the South China AFL, um, working with sports universities in Guangzhou, and we got to the point where we had CCTV who wanted to broadcast our games. Mm. And at that point, with all of that already in the bag, we went to the AFL and said, here we, we, we have China gift-wrapped for the AFL, um, but we want to be the AFL's team in China. Mm. And we want to we, – we, we want to do this with you, um, and we want you to give us an assurance that it would only be Port Adelaide who are um, representing the AFL in China. And, th- and their answer was that they were very happy for that to have occur. Um, they couldn't stop other clubs doing commercial deals over there, but they would support us as the official club on the ground and so anything that's AFL endorsed will be Port Adelaide endorsed uh, and so I think that's a really strong that's a really strong position mm. and you know we, we were very wary of the fact and because we've done so much work and taken it so far um, and have really presented the AFL with a, a golden opportunity I think they've been very respectful of that and, and you know I, I'm, I'm confident and very hopeful that uh, that will that's, see it through, and, and we'll put some we'll, we'll put some contracts 
um, strengthen the contracts between us to make sure that, that happens in the future. Okay, because I mean, it, it seemed like a, when the big announcement came out, I think James Brayshaw um, was on the radio almost immediately saying, you know, how did Port Adelaide become the, the patron saint of China or where's that effect? Yeah. Um, so you have to assume there's probably going to be a bit of a fight back if it does look like going somewhere. Um, yeah, you know what? You know what? The interesting thing about that is, though, um, it's really hard work and. Everyone tells you, um, yeah, if you, if you had anything to do with China in the past uh, or in business, it's not easy. And you, you have to build very specific relationships. And so we went, to the, we went to the AFL Commission and said, look, the worst thing that could happen here is if um, all these clubs willy-nilly start jumping in, trying to um, milk um, milk this opportunity. Um, we've got to be really organised. Um, the Chinese government don't want 25 different representatives. Mm. They want to do uh, head office and the primary people who happen to be Port Adelaide um, and that's it. And so I, I think that um, it would be very difficult for a club to um, catch up from here um, and we will get some uh, our you know, our, our agreements um, watertight so that uh, we, we have a protected position. But, you know, it, it's absolutely typical of um, other, you know, sort of organisations who haven't done the work to think, oh, we can just step in and do it. Uh, it's not that easy, I guarantee you. I guess you've got that economic principle, Porsche, as well, called first mover advantage. Um, you know, and if you if you do it right and set it up right, like Keith's saying, with the with the arrangements, that, that goes a long way to sort of uh, getting our foot in the door first. Um, yes. I guess, Keith, you spoke about the, the golden nugget, so to speak. Um, I guess the question that, that sort of segues from that is um, the revenue opportunities for the footy club in relation to you know, CCTV and the broadcasting and also uh, potential new major sponsors. I saw Oddsgold Major, uh, Oddsgold yes. Mining is going to be the game day sponsor, which is fantastic. So... Have you guys done any financial modelling? Um, I imagine you would have. Um, to, and do you think that the China deal will get us close to the top of the tree in relation to finance and competing with the other AFL clubs? I think it has the potential to be absolutely transformational for the Port Adelaide Footy Club from a financial point of view. And I, I sent a note around to the members um, just a couple of days ago and I, I, what I was speaking about there was Port Adelaide... Um, in the context of South Australia, is often referred to by interstaters as the smaller of the two clubs, and um, and we're playing this indigenous game that you know really uh, in in a, in a relatively small state in Australia, and, and and you just have this opportunity, this this feeling that you get minimalised all the time. You're having to fight against that. As soon as you attach China to our proposition, we are in. A completely different conversation, and and we're in a we're in a conversation with a local, national, and international business. Now, it's going to take a while for all of that to um, eventuate, but if you think about what we've done, even in the last six months, right? We had the Prime Minister of Australia on his very first visit as Prime Minister to China. His first meeting announced to the world that Port Adelaide 
and the AFL were going to pay the first game for premiership points in Shanghai. Name another moment in Port Adelaide's history where that's where that's occurred, right? We've been able to attract a multi-million dollar, multi-year agreement with a, a group called Shanghai Cred, mm. who um, you know you know of them and, and that, that and what they are trying to do in Australia at the moment. Yeah. And we've just attract, attracted Oz Gold in another multi-year, multi-million dollar agreement. Now, that that's just the tip of the iceberg. Then you talk about Swiss, Bellamy's Foods, Chemist Warehouse, all of these people are coming to Port Adelaide as a result of our interest in China, and we haven't done anything yet. You know, we haven't. You know, we, we, we've got a, a we've got a game on television, but we haven't played the game. We, we only have, we've only we've only announced it four or five days ago. So I think that's just giving you a sense of the sort of potential that's out there, and it's different potential. It's new money. It's new, they're new relationships. Think about that position that I was talking about a minute ago, which was we wish to be the AFL's team for China, both here in Australia and in China. Now, that is a massive, uncontested market. And if we, if we can crack that uh, and become compelling... Uh, and we can we can actually um, form a relationship with, the, with a new community, the Chinese community, that has anywhere near the passion associated with it that our our core um, member uh, and supporter base has towards us. Then we will be an enormous financial um, uh, entity going forward. Now it's going to take a lot of work. You've got to build these things, but I'm really encouraged by you know, the start that we've made. Yeah. Um, and just with the sponsorship um, types, I suppose, uh, in this China deal, I mean, obviously, um, Oswald and Shanghai Cred, they're both fairly primary resources focused, I'd say, at this point. Um, is there a plan to sort of become um, the gateway to Australia for China as well, perhaps, and maybe there'd be more um, consumer level things, uh, uh, companies that get targeted for smaller sponsorships? Uh, whether yeah, no. The Australian market? Is, that, is there a longer term strategy to move to something like that? That is absolutely right, Portia. Like so, uh, it's been a really interesting, um, you know, little um, learning experience for us. In that, when we, when we first started, we thought it's too difficult to think of this as an opportunity to grow the game or membership or um, to go and find players out of China. It was just it's not something that Port Adelaide was resourced to do. What we thought we could do was to establish ourselves as a vehicle for Chinese businesses who wanted to invest in Australia. We thought that we could help um, through sport diplomacy break down some of those those barriers that exist between the two countries when it comes to doing business. That's what we thought. And to be honest, Shanghai Cred is a classic example of that, where he, he was looking to invest in Adelaide and, and Australia, he became aware of Port Adelaide, he understood the, the proposition and came on. What changed our strategy was he fell in love with the game, right? So he, he, he said to us, 
I want to take this game back to Shanghai. So all of a sudden, we we are thinking about, all right, well, how do we play a game over there? And can we create a vehicle for Australian businesses to promote themselves in China? And that's why significance of the television deal is so critical because all of a sudden, and next year we will have three television networks broadcasting Port Adelaide games in China. All of a sudden, Australian business who are interested in going um, and doing trading with the Chinese communities over there will be able to use Port Adelaide as a vehicle. And so we've got a two-way thing going on here, um, which we didn't anticipate. Um, it's changed. Uh, it's stretched us a bit, I'll be honest. You know, it's been, you know, it's, been it's harder, but really... I think exciting in regards to its possibilities. Yeah. Um, Keith, uh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, um, you forgot that emerging company um, that sponsors Port Fan Radio, New um, Vision, coming through the ranks as well. Yes. Sorry, I had to, I had to, I had to drop that one in. And, <laughs> and the other one I, is so in relation to the team. It's on our whiteboard, and uh, we'll, we'll be uh, we're thinking about that right now. Good, good work. And, and seriously, the, um, with the TV rights, obviously all the TV rights money goes into the pool and then distributed to the AFL club. So um, CCTV coming on board, will that be the same sort of principle? The AFL would collect any TV rights money or, uh, and then Port Adelaide get an equal distribution or are we going to get maybe a favourable cut or is it just all to Port Adelaide? <laughs> Even better. Look, um... I, th- I think it'll be several years before that's the case. And uh, if, we, if we look at the American sports um, as an example, that's how they did it. You know, they, they just got a foothold by providing free content into into China, build the build the audience base, and then uh, you know, I think that uh, money is starting to flow these days. But um, so the AFL and Port Adelaide are, are very relaxed about that. We think that it's going to take some time. Um, we have, to be honest, we haven't even contemplated what that looks like. My my plan would be to ensure that the relationship between the AFL and Port Adelaide in in regards to China remains as tight and as strong as it can be, so that we're basically partnering with each other on this um, exploration of a new market. Uh, and so long as that's occurring, then. I think that we will share in the spills um, one way or another. But if we can establish ourselves as the AFL's club for China, that is an enormously powerful position. Um, and broadcast rights or not, the opportunities will be um, will be there for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, look, we've got a, just a slightly diverting question, um, which is yes. uh, you, you've got a bit of a reputation for being you know, a bit casual. I think there was a photo of you once with a tie knot on in the paper and um, there's a photo that was around more recently um, of you being at the family day carrying a bag of ice and a pair of shorts. So the question comes from Papagallo, uh, who says, Shanghai will be warm in May. Are you bringing the ice? Yeah, uh, I remember that. I remember the day, and I, I didn't even know why they were all laughing at me, but um, I just thought <laughs> the guys needed some ice, so I went and got it. Um, but um, it's it's going to be warm. Um, it's going to be uh, humid. Um, so if you're coming along, you've got to put this pack of shorts, and yes, I'll be carrying the ice. We'll be, it's all hands on deck at Port Adelaide. And, uh, you know, I think it's, um, yeah, it's going to be, you know, one of those things, I think, that if, 
it's it's a difficult place to get to. Right? I understand that it's got, it's a bit expensive and whatever. But if 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 we could if people could find their way there, Port fans, can you imagine never tear us apart being blasted out um, at yeah you know, this Shanghai Stadium? You know, I I can't wait for that day. It's going to be it's going to be brilliant. I think. Mm, so. Did you know, Keith, that you've got a bit of a nickname amongst the supporters, um, and you're known as Casual Keith for that from that moment? <laughs> I, I heard I was in the game day village, um, and some guy called me. He called, he called me Casual Keith. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about, so <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't really know that it had uh, done the rounds. So it's probably um, I, I can get a little bit loose. That's true. Um, you know, <laughs> the tie off and the. Uh, yeah, the T-shirt on and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, I'd rather be who I am. Yeah, I, I, I kind of think it's like in Adelaide, that's the good way to be. Sort of like you see all the political adverts in the United States where they're all carrying guns. Like in Adelaide, if you're the person that brings a bag of ice to a party, you're probably a pretty good bloke. So it's good good uh, PR there. Yeah, I understand that. That's, uh, I'm a bit worried about the American stuff. Do you, do you guys cover American politics? No, oh, no, not we, on Port we, yeah. we do cover a lot of things, Keith. I mean... <laughs> Uh, some of the supporters were a bit concerned when they heard you were coming on that uh, Portia was going to try and uh, uh, convert you into a, a tea addict because uh, she has a strong tea addiction. And oh, some other supporters were concerned that I was going to turn you into a uh, vegetarian Buddhist. Um, so, but we have made a vow that we we won't try to convert you tonight. Well, I, I tell you what, I'm a lot I'm, I'm a lot closer than you think. I, I don't eat red meat, and um, I uh, I'm trying to reduce chicken and fish as well so I'm on my way there um, and I I don't drink alcohol but uh, uh, and I, I used to drink a lot of tea never drank coffee but I, I, I went off it so I, I don't think I'd be hard to get back yeah, into the tea into the tea mould um, good stuff yeah. <laughs> good work I'll just I'll just work on you with the no killing no stealing no lying and I reckon I've got you over the line as a bit of same tea yeah, yeah that's <laughs> something in that um, hey, just just quick, just quickly. So, from a supporters' perspective, uh, what should we be expecting from China um, and from the footy club in the short term, medium term, and long term, expectation wise? Yeah, look, I think um, I think that we've probably crept up on um, the Port family a little bit, and they they would have seen Team China come through, and it starts to. Uh, eke into the conversation a little bit more and and it's because we've just been going very slowly towards towards this um it'll now become much more um high profile because of the game and um so i think that um what we would what we would say is just keep an open mind on this um understand i i, I was on radio earlier this week and caroline wilson actually had a bit of a crack at the fact that you know, the administration might have been distracted last year and uh, because of the China focus. And, uh, you know, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, does that, does that mean that, um, you know, because we're concentrating on community work, we're not concentrating on footy? It doesn't. You know, you, footy clubs are, are, are set up um, to continue to um, to work in different areas and um, and... We have a dedicated staff of four people now working on on, chi- on the China business, and Ken Hinckley and 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 the you know the footy department has nothing to do with it until we tell them that okay well, you're going here to play, and they get excited by that and fantastic. But it, 
There's nothing to do with distraction. But So don't be worried about that. Keep an open mind about it. Um, keep understanding that everything that we do as a footy club ultimately ends back with the football program. Where we, we, mm. we understand that footy clubs... The, yeah, they don't exist unless they're winning games of footy, to be honest, and uh, certainly the Port Adelaide Footy Club. So it's all about trying to establish ourselves um, higher up the totem pole from a resource point of view so that we can keep giving Ken and the coaches and the players what they need to, to be great. So keep that in mind. In regards to what are you going to see, um, you're going to hear more about Osgold. You're going to hear more about Shanghai Cred. You will hear other... Uh, international-sounding businesses come on board. Um, that's a positive. Um, you know, you, you'll you see um, us probably talking about it a bit more. We, it's not going to dominate. We know people get sick of it really quickly. Everyone, you know, we're, we're in it for the footy, right? But, um, but it will be part of our language as we go forward. Um, and I'd just say embrace it. Um, it's it's a really positive thing. It's something that's now unique about Port Adelaide, um, and I think they're going to make us a much stronger club. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I just had a question related to that, which is um, Chris Davies. He has a lot on his plate uh, for a, a manager that isn't the CEO, I guess, um, with a lot of high value employees. Like, do you think that there's some need to? alleviate that because I know there was something that was said about Peter Oden the, the final days that uh, he was doing in the job um, yeah. is that being hamstrung by the football sal- the off-field salary cap or anything like that or is is there any way to improve that situation because it does seem like there's a, a lot to do for that footy ops manager this is this is what I love about uh, Port Fan Radio already right uh, that's an insightful question and, uh, and it's because we're talking to um, people who are devoted to you know sort of trying to understand what Port Adelaide's about, that the general media just doesn't give. So I really applaud that. Um, we do need to do something about that. Um, we, w- one of the things that we discovered uh, in the in the review process, and I've got to say, it was a really uncomfortable period um, mm. in the postseason. You know, we, we started really analysing things in May, you know, April, May, because we knew, we just knew it wasn't, where we wanted it to be, and we tried everything we could to get it going in season, but um, we didn't. You know, in the end, we got hurt and we weren't able to get any real momentum. But one of the things that we saw was that we're not getting enough out of all of the resources that we are throwing at the footy program, uh, and that's a management issue. It's a, it's a, it's not, it's not a criticism. It's just a, it's a reality. We feel as if that the the tools that at our coaches and players' disposal are now as good as any, I think, in the in the industry. Yep. And the question I was challenging the guys with was, are we maximising that those those resources? And the answer to that is no. And and Chris Davies, in his role, uh, not as a coach, but as a as a as an executive, as a manager, mm. his role next year will be to ensure that we are getting everything we possibly can out of every, everything we've got in the system. So to be able to do that, he's got to be able to relinquish some of the other stuff that he does. And so we'll be restructuring um, internally to enable him to have to, for that, to him get a little bit closer to the performance end of the, of the, the footy program um, so that he, and he can leave some of that 
um, administrative work that he has to do in the in his role um, back, you know, where it's with someone else. So, so the answer to your question is yes, we are going to do that, uh, and he's going to have a sharper responsibility around um, the performance end of our football program. Excellent. Um, and I, I guess a, a slightly related question uh, to that. Um, is that, uh, you know, our membership's doing really well. We, we seem to still have a waiting list despite we've having two years outside of the eight, which I think, you know, five years ago that would have seemed unlikely, to say the least. Um, the sport for our club seems to have the momentum of a runaway freight train. Um, what are we doing right? Why are we so popular? Yeah, I think that um, we, we, you have to think back. I, I reckon the most significant thing that we've achieved in the last few years is that we look and sound like Port Adelaide again. Mm. And at all, at, we're, not, we're not always playing as well as we would like. And we don't get everything right off field. But the people that are representing the club and the, and the things that we're trying to do, uh, even when we're breaking new ground, look and feel true to Port Adelaide. And I think that that gives our supporters and our members great confidence um, that they, this is the club that they grew up with and know and, and love, and good or bad, I'm going to support them. And I think we might have lost that a little bit a few years back. So I think that was the first thing we've been able to correct. Yep. The second thing is that the Adelaide Oval experience is fantastic. Yeah, like mm. it is really, um, it's it's an even if we don't win, there's two hours of it that you really enjoy. You know, so you know there's. It, and when we do win, it's one, it's the best day of the week. So, you know, I think that that has been really important to uh, um, to the whole package, and people have just bought into that. And I think that I think that I'd like to think that Port Adelaide people are feeling genuinely excited about the future and what and what is you know coming our way. And you know, no one's happy with 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 how we finished in fifteen and sixteen, but. I'd like to think that everyone knows that we are absolutely tearing the house down to try and improve on that and, and to make sure that we keep moving forward. Because as a club, we have great, we do have great momentum. Um, we are more relevant in the industry and in the AFL than I think um, we've been in more than a decade um, right now because of the, all of the things that we're trying to do. And uh, you know, the, 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 the most important part of it is playing well. On a Saturday, and hopefully, you know that will come. That will come next. Keith, you, you just said quickly there. You felt like we sort of drifted before you came in um, away from like the Port Adelaide connection, so to speak. How how was that identified and then brought back on track? And and was that something that was led by yourself and or by a team of Port Adelaide? Was it focus groups or just surveying uh, the members? Well, to, to, it, there's two answers to that. F firstly, that work, the realisation that we've drifted and the work had already begun before I started. So that, that began in 2010. You know, Matthew Richardson, Timmy Ginova, um, you know, George Fiaci, those sort of guys were already saying, hang on, we're losing our identity. We're not, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're a divided club. For me, I, I come from outside of the club, uh, as, as everyone knows. And so uh, when I, whenever I looked at Port Adelaide, I only, I only saw one club, to be honest. It wasn't until I started it, and it happened the very first week. Um, it was the leading 
to the game at Adelaide Oval. We played Melbourne in the next in that, that last game of the, of the year where we just put that game on at Adelaide Oval. And I was talking to a guy who was standing on the hill watching training, and I asked him about the relationship between the power and the magpies from his point of view. I said, how do you, how, how does that work for you? And he said, you know, I love the magpies. I grew up with them. That's where my heart is. Um, I remember going to the footy with my dad and he was really passionate. He said, I barrack for the power. I know it's Port Adelaide, but it doesn't feel quite the same. And that was a, that was like a, bombshell in my mind and I'm going what the hell is that all about you know I, I, because I'd never really contemplated it and when I started to dig in and found and started talking more in depth with Matthew and uh, Richardson and uh, and the guys it became really obvious that there had been several years where the club was divided and both internally and externally um, and as a result of pressure from external factors and finances and, you know, the legislation, you know, that occurred when we came into the AFL, all of those things were contributing to this divide in the club, which just needed to be healed. And, you know, I think that we, um, in the first two years, in 2012 and 2013, they were the big... Um, wins from my point of view where we're able to start to get everyone back on the same page start to talk and act like Port Adelaide and our, and our and you know the remarkable thing was that our supporters knew they knew that that was going on uh, and as soon as we were starting to we were able to start to repair it they flocked back and mm. uh, you know and I that's uh, that's uh, you know one of the great untold Stories, if you like, of, of, of the people point to Adelaide Oval. I think it was much more. It was deeper than that. It was cultural, uh, and it was, uh, and we needed to change the language of the club. Um, and we, and I'm glad we did, and we, uh, and, and and it's worked. So it's good. Fantastic. Um, look, I mean, you, you briefly mentioned the review um, and that as far as making the best of the resources. Um, Mac19 had a further question. He's usually one of the co-hosts, but he's got something else on tonight. Um, have, has, the, has your review of the club uncovered, hopefully, core issues, how the club operates, and reasons for our disappointing last two seasons? Yeah, no, I think that, firstly, I would say that it's really important to differentiate between 15 and 16. I think I think that they, we finished in much the same position, but I think the reasons were different. Um, and the, the the late recovery that we had in 2015, you know, perhaps um, uh, lulled us into a a little bit of a um, a false sense of security, perhaps um, where we thought that we, you know, we, we pro- perhaps thought that we had it under control a little bit more than we did. What 2016 showed us was that. Um, I think I think there were some themes that we've been talking about publicly, you know, quite openly, and you know, clearly um, our ability to um, handle that ruck situation, where you know we we had Ryder at the back end of the fifteen who was um, providing us with really good service, our, our, our midfielders, um, we weren't able to get that service uh, in the early parts of two thousand and sixteen and throughout the year really. 
And it took us a while to adjust to that as, as a midfield group. And, and I think that, you know, that, uh, that was a mistake and, and we weren't, you know, we, we probably should have reacted a little sooner. I think that's well documented. And, and by the end of the year, we were really going to battle uh, in that midfield. Um, and whilst the, the guys would say openly that they weren't playing as well as they could, they you know, they were really battling hard um, to, to, you know, to, you know, to nullify the, the midfield uh, mm. advantage that was the other way. So that's the first thing. I think that it's really also well understood that our skills under pressure have been lacking. Uh, and, um, you know, I think that that's been a couple of years uh, in, you know, in the making and we, our training needs to adjust to, to accommodate that. Um, I don't, you know, subscribe to the view that we, we don't have skillful players, but I think that um, we are uh, our decision making under pressure, uh, and perhaps the um, you know what what we're trying to do in dangerous positions is is a little bit sort of make is making that situation worse. So and that one that's not me, that's Ken talking. So so I think that we'll we'll, we'll correct that. Uh, and you know I reckon at the start of the year we. Um, yeah, you know, we didn't get the the defensive structure as well as you know as as we would want it, and we were perhaps a little bit vulnerable to um, you know those quick kicks over the top, and and so that was the first five rounds of the year, and we got off to a bad start, and then we got hurt. You know, and look, I as a CEO, you know, I you know, I don't let the, the the football people hide behind injuries. We can't do that. Sure. Other clubs have injuries, but our backline was re- completely restructured to accommodate it, um, and you know we, we we were probably playing for for the majority of games with upwards of eight or nine first grade players not playing. It was it was high for us, um, and we didn't handle it. It exposed our depth, which wasn't strong enough, and so we uh, you know we we got into trouble. And so if you if you think about those things. Our response will reflect all of that, uh, and uh, we will bring in extra resource around skill skill development. We're going to work on the development of our leadership group. We're going to, you know, we're going to bring in more um, analysis, you know, analytical skill around the, the future of the game and, and how it's being played. And, and we're going to, you know, which will be away from the footy coaches. It'll be other other resources. So. We're going to bring in a lot of new resource that will specifically deal with those things that we um, discovered about us this year, with a view to improving. I don't think I, I think that we've got a really good list. I think that we've got a really good coaching group. I just don't think it. Uh, we we maximised all of the resources that we've got, um, and this year has to be about that. Yeah. Hey, Keith, just quickly. Um, so you mentioned the injuries. Now we've got a pretty notable uh, high performance department. Is is um, you know are they going through a, um, a a strict review here as well, or is 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 it more high impact injuries that are unavoidable from fitness? And then segueing from that, another quick question is: you mentioned you're not eating red meat anymore. As a fellow vegetarian, my friend. Uh, can you sing the praises of not eating red meat to the mo- the listeners that mock me in my vegetarian <laughs> ways? What are the health benefits to you, mate? Get off the red meat. Um, it's uh, you, 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 I, I actually don't know, but it, I, I feel a lot 
lot lighter. You know, I just don't feel the bogged down, you know, as I used to with meat. And it's just, um, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not a, <laughs> I don't know all the, all the science to it, but I know I feel better. Um, it's a really good point about the the injuries and, and the high-performance team. We, we would be, uh, I know Darren and his team are really uh, unhappy with um, the year that we had. Um, we were particularly concerned about the amount, the, the number of re-injuries that we, we, we had. And I can tell you that there was a, a really in-depth um, review done, independent review done halfway through the season and then again at the end of the season. Um, and it's, I've, I've got to say, Rick, um, it's like asking a mechanic what's wrong with your car with no skills. You're like, I, I don't mm. even know what the hell they're talking about. All I know is that you know, it's it's a, a really big piece of work. They identified a couple of things that uh, they can improve upon um, in regards to the program, um, and you know, no one no one escaped scrutiny. Um, there is a reality to injuries in a, in a high performance, tough environment that we play in. Um, re injuries are not acceptable. Uh, they yeah they, you know, they they are injuries that reoccur. You know, Particularly muscular, you know, hamstrings, um, and our guys were really, really focused on that. And um, you know, I'm sure that they will, uh, they'll correct those issues as, as we go forward. But no one escapes uh, the re- escape the review. We can say that. Well, um, that was um, another thing that sort of came up on the boards a lot. This, uh, I suppose, the whole of the last year, um, uh, worrying about the amount of, or sorry, the number of, I suppose, credible ruckmen that we had on our list at the end of last year. It seemed, it seemed like. Uh, and then the rider suspension happened on top of that. Uh, is there anything like we, we obviously haven't traded in a new ruckman? Um, is are we addressing that, or are we happy to go ahead with a similar situation, just knowing that you know riders' suspension's done and that hopefully the injuries will be under control? What sort of plans do we have in place to avoid yeah. something like that happening again? Yeah, so so rider coming back in obviously you know adds one. Um, mm. Loby is, is still. Um, with us, which is which is terrific. Billy Frampton, we're very, um, you know, we're, we're very bullish about. We think that he will be a, you know, as soon as he starts to, you know, his his body starts to hold up and he starts to grow a bit more, he'll he'll be um, a terrific lad. So that that are the three recognised ruckmen that we will have in our system. Um, then you've got you still got Jackson who who proved that he could he could play a role. You've still got Westy Dixon can ruck. So I think at the AFL level. We're, we're very well covered now. Um, where we got really thin was at the SANFL level. The Magpies, when you know, when we were drawing um, all of those sort of ruck um, sort of options out, and, and Billy got injured, you know, we, we got very short uh, in the in the midfield um, in the SANFL. But I think that this year, just by bringing Paddy Ryder back uh, and, and and retaining Lobes and and having Billy coming through, I think we'll be will be more than covered. Um, now that now that we've established that Jackson can do what he did, which I thought was tremendous, um, you know, he he turned himself into that fifth midfielder, and you know, so we we know as a fullback position we can go to that, and 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 more we understand what that is, and we can make it work. So I, 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 we're, we're less we're less concerned about it this year than we were last year. Uh, is it uh, just the, the mention of um, Billy Frampton needing to get his, his body right? I mean, I suppose that 
we had the same thoughts on Jared Redden for several years and he didn't quite get it right. And just going back into Port Adelaide history, um, there was a time when Primus and Laid were both injured and we were playing Barnaby French and Dean Brogan off the rookie list as our Ruckman. Um, we're not even in a situation to replicate that sort of thing. Has the game changed that much that you just don't need pure Ruckman? And is maybe think, perhaps yeah. part of the coverage coming from the part-time Ruckman in future? I think, I think there's a truth to that. Um, in that Ruckman seem to need to be more mobile mm. um, and they need to be able to do other things. And, you know, I think that that's where the best Ruckman are. Um, the senior coaches are not wanting to play two recognised Ruckman uh, most weeks. Um, and I think that comes from the, the need to be really mobile. If you're playing forward, you need to be able to play a defensive role as well as an attacking role. So, you know, I think the game has has demanded changes in that regard and and I know that you know Jason Cripps doesn't doesn't support the idea of having you know five six big ruck you know 205 centimeter ruckman on the list um, he, just, he just doesn't think that that's good use of the of the talent uh, Keith we've been talking about the the rucks and the, the numbers what about with the footy department do you envisage that there might be any potentials extra signings uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks in relation to coaches? Uh, no, I think that... Uh, I, I, I don't think that there'll be any more coaches. Um, we're all of the view that we don't... Uh, we're happy with the number of coaches we've got. What you might see is um, roles reorganised and, uh, as I said, we're going to bring other other resources in to support the coaches uh, so that we can then uh, ensure that they, you know, they've got more tools at their disposal to, to use. So, you know, I, I think that there's um, – I, I don't like to be um, sort of labelled old school, but um, if you think about what happens in the coaching box on match day, um, it's really – yeah, it, it happens very fast, and uh, and there's a lot of information flying flying around, and you know it's very difficult for the senior coach to process all of that, and you know get the information that he needs. So, you know, I, I don't think you, just, you know, because you've got twelve people in the box that makes you a better box at all. Um, what you want is you want to make sure that the coaches that are there are are communicating with each other in such a way that it is highly effective and that the senior coach is getting the information that he needs to make the decisions he needs to make. And we're going to be concentrating on that, um, which is much more about quality as opposed to quantity uh, and ensuring that the right resources are getting to the right person at the right time. And there's, that's a management... That's, I, I'm really pleased with the coaching ability. Um, I was less pleased with... The organisation of it, and uh, and the guys are going to be working really hard on that. And Chris Davies will play a really big role in that, I reckon. Um, so if I could just go back to the rucks very briefly, but to, related to a different point, um, which is that um, if you're talking about ruckmen that need to be able to do more things around the ground, uh, I know there's been a bit of criticism about Matthew Lobby in terms of he is pretty much one of those ruckmen, fairly old school. Um, and the length of contracts is something that's come up on Big Footy a bit as well. Uh, how, we seem to have a contrast in that we have players that maybe don't have Jackson Trangove levels of versatility on longer contracts, it seems. Um, is that 
something that we need to measure against. Uh, so obviously you get the security of knowing the player will be there and you can work them into your long-term plans, but doesn't that, does that potentially leave us inflexible when we need to adjust to the game? Okay, so first first point. Um, Matthew Loby is, uh, right now, if you were to look at how he played most recently, you'd say well, he's a little bit more older school. But mm. if you go back to 2014, he, well, I thought one of his greatest attributes was his ability to actually affect the contest as soon as it hit the ground. And I think that uh, Matthew is still finding his way back from that injury. Um, and if he can um, go from the tapping um, stuff that he does really well to being competitive in the air and really competitive on the ground, I think that he can be very valuable to us. So I, I, you know, I think that uh, that is well within his capability. So... That's the first thing. In regards to the long-term contracts, there's a little bit of a misnomer going around about um, where we're at in regards to that. And uh, the reality is that we're in uh, mid-range in regards to long-term contracts. Um, the, the guys that are on the major contracts you know, are the ones that you'd expect is Boak and Gray and Wingard and Wines and those sort of guys. The ones that have gained a lot of attention are Hamish Hartlett and lobes um, for, for obvious reasons. Now, the Hartlett, Hamish Hartlett situation was I'll get back to lobes in a second, but the, the Hamish Hartlett one was interesting in that um, you know, Hamish is a really highly regarded, highly valued member of our team. Um, he came to us last year with a really big offer from Richmond. Um, he, he, you know, he uh, he said that he he didn't believe that um, he didn't need the money that they were offering to him. He didn't believe that he was worthy of it, which we really respected. Um, uh, but he was uh, he, he liked the idea of a five-year agreement, which we agreed to. They get into the you know the conversation at the end of this year where it, Hamish didn't have the sort of year that he wanted, and you know certainly we were you know the coaches were very clear that they needed more from him as well, uh, and. He was through that conversation. There was a, you know, he was encouraged to say, "Well, look, it could be that our program is not doing for you what you need it to do. Do do you want to go and explore it? This is, you know, you're on a long-term contract, but you may well be well, um, sort of, uh, well served to at least go and explore other options." He did that. He didn't see anything he liked. He came back, and we've. We've agreed, and we and we move on, and, we, and we're very, everyone's very happy about that. So, but that came as a result of market forces. With Loeb's, um, that you know, that that contract, yes, you know, like uh, you're always a little bit vulnerable to injury. Um, I think the the industry has been drawn towards long term contracts as a way of protecting players in the free agency world. Um, I understand it. As a, as a CEO, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. I've got to say, it's. Uh, I think three years is probably the ideal. But um, I talked to Cripper, and and the reality is, you know, if, if someone comes um, to us and says, "Well, um, you know, we're going to offer um, Chad Wingard or, or or even a Jarman Impey, who's a, an emerging young player, five years." Um, 
you know, there's every likelihood that we're gonna we're gonna say, well, we're gonna we we want to compete with that. We wanna we want to keep those sort of players in. You don't always get it right. It's not always um, perfect, but um, don't for a minute think that we are out of the ordinary. In fact, we are about mid-range in those long-term um, contracts, and you know, we're very comfortable mm. with, with, with where it's all set up. Well, I mean, I guess the question I have there is, like, we're trying to – the way you describe it, it sounds like there is a bit too much going towards long-term contracts league-wide. Um, yeah. And that therefore, that, the, the only way that it gets adjusts though is if you call the bluff occasionally and you lose the odd player and you choose the guys you lose. Um, yes. So the, that's the long term contracts, absolutely. But I guess just this year, there's two that have had a bit of scrutiny. Um, Jake yes. Need two year extension and then he gets dropped. And uh, he, you know he's a, he's a defensive forward that doesn't really get on the scoreboard as much as you'd like. Um, and Tom Jonas more recently three years. He's a good. He, you know he can be good. He is a one-position player in a lot of respects. I, I, he's not the sort of guy that's going to, be, you know, run down the wings all that much. He hasn't got super pace. Uh, you know, with the, with the changing game, with the movement, you know, it's, well, constantly it's always getting faster. You know, th- in three years' time, is he still a vital part of our side? Um, those are the sorts, like even those mid-range ones when they're to players that are sort of maybe on the fringes or they're in a role that's changing. Those are the ones that I suppose probably get a bit more query. Yeah, you know, look, I understand that, and it's very subjective. I, I tell you, I tell you what I would say about that is that at some point you have to trust the experts that we have, and mm. they will either get it right or get it wrong. I, in the football club, there are very, very few people that I trust more than Jason Cripps to manage our entire list. Um, both for now and for the future. He, he, he is an outstanding operator, highly regarded in the industry, and we are making these decisions based on um, a, a five- to seven-year view of how the team needs to evolve. Um, you may not agree with, with our assessment of Jake Need or whoever, and, that, and, that's, and, and I may not, you know, but as the CEO... I, I don't need to actually uh, know the ins and outs of every decision. I can't. What I do need to know is, is Jason the person I want making those decisions? Um, and the answer to that is absolutely yes. And I'm going to back him in uh, 100% of the way and we'll, we'll live and die of the decisions we jointly make. Similarly, the board will be saying the same thing about me. Um, do we know about China? No. Uh, you know, we don't know whether it's going to work or not, but are we prepared to back the, the executive team in? Yep, we'll back them in. And you live and die on that. You know? and that, I think that, there's no, that's just, that's just the, the world we live in. We're in a high-performance environment. You back your judgment in. You, you try and recruit the best possible people. You give them everything that they need to make decisions like this, and uh, and that's where we're at. Well, I mean, if you're using the comparison between yourself in your role with the board and Jason Cripps with you, um, in your role with the board when you're doing something like China, I mean, you'd obviously present some kind of plan, um, a schedule of where, where you expect to be at various points and, you know, the upsides and downsides. Like, has Jason done that as far as our list? Do we have an overarching list management yeah. strategy for the five years, seven years? And is it, yep. tested, is it tested from anyone outside of the club or close to the club? 
Yes. So, uh, wonderful questions, right? So, um, so when I first walked in, and this this is early 2012, I got my first look at our long-term strategic list planning, and that's when Matty Primus was still in, and, and they were executing that plan, and we are still on that plan. Um, it gets it evolves every year. Um, Jason is the architect of that plan. Um, his process is that he has to present it to a footy strategic committee. On that committee, there are you know there you know there are board directors and and other people. We test it against um, industry experts. Um, I remember going into several meetings where Jason, not the whole thing, but he'll he'll talk about sections of it to a, a David King, a David Parkin. Paul Ruth, these sort of people, just just to say, you know, like when, when Paul wasn't coaching, mm. just to get a sense of, you know, how how our thinking was, uh, you know, against other other contemporaries. So there's a lot of rigor that goes into it. And then that gets presented up to um, to the board, who get every opportunity to to challenge it. And uh, so we we are still working towards. You know, on that same base plan as was in place in 2012, except that it now looks out to 2020 uh, and it has a, an enormous amount of sophistication attached to it these days than, than it did even back then. Um, but, you know, I, I rest assured that it's uh, – of all the things that we invest in, um, that is probably the area that gets most heavily – scrutinized um particularly this time of year um where, yeah because everyone's an expert you know everyone everyone's yeah. got a view um and so the team have become much better at taking the the gut feel out of it the you know the the get the guesswork if you like or the the old school um stuff um and they, it's much more scientific much more statistically based tested and benchmarked against every other club and so it's a, it's a vastly more sophisticated game these days, but the plan, you know, the plan itself, you know, has some real continuity about it. Well, that, that, that's reassuring to hear. Um, and then just, can we ask one more question? I mean, we've hit the hour mark and understand you need to go and oh. you know, live your life. That's okay. No <laughs> um, it's based, there's two questions from different people that are sort of related. Um, the first one is from Black Diamond asking, how tight is our salary cap? There's a lot of external noise, but the club is silent. Um, Damien Barrett, I suppose, is one that seems to be saying that we, we've got a problem with the salary cap. Uh, and um, a little bit related to that, has the AFL advised the club on whether riders and, Ryder and Monfrey's wages um, count? Like, is, are we getting any salary cap relief for them missing the season? Uh, have we heard anything? Yeah. Is that in the works or is it, been, is it actually dead now? Yeah, I, I'm not going to talk too much about okay. um, the salary cap. I, I, hopefully, I've been um, transparent with all the other yeah. the others. Let Let me just say this to you: the the salary cap in the AFL is really heavily scrutinised. They've got um, they've got uh, a team of people whose job it is to make sure that every club. Um, adheres to the salary cap um, and we are as officious as anyone again you know we, we have to sign David and I have to sign stack decks uh, there's this um, there's this spread you know really 
demon-like spreadsheet that uh, calculates all the different um, configurations of, of, of yeah, all the all the different contracts that are going in there um, years in advance, um, and we are under the salary cap. So, uh, are we tight? Yes, we are. Um, every club just about is operating between ninety-eight and one hundred percent of the cap. Um, so, you know, we are we're in that bracket. We're not over. Um, we're, we're nowhere near over. And we're managing it, and we manage it every single day, and that's really all that anyone needs to worry about, in my view. All right, I don't think that any fans are really particularly worried about it, but it just gets brought up in the media so often that yeah. you, have, you sort of have to worry. So yeah, it's good to have well, an official worry. answer on that. Okay, we are right on it, and we're under, um, and you know the the AFL work with us on a daily basis, basically to ensure. That uh, we don't go over, um, and, that, and that's uh, that's yeah, that's part of the job. Fantastic. All right. Well, um, I think Rick and I will just do a little bit of a wrap. But um, Keith, you're free to go. Thank you very much for coming on this evening. It's been really enlightening, um, and we've had a few live listeners that have been uh, pretty wrapped with your remarks. And um, oh, good. <laughs> been very fun. Thank you very much. As I said, it's a great privilege to be here. I enjoyed it, and uh, you. What I love about it is uh, how um, how insightful you guys are, and uh, and that's clear. I'm talking to to Port, you know, Port Depotees, and that's uh, it's wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Keith, and uh, good luck with the diet, and we'll convert you to the Buddhism next, all right, mate? <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. Sarah. Awesome. How are you, Portia? You're not nervous anymore? No, I'm good now. It's all done. It's all done. Yeah. I, oh. I was saying, I was chatting to Al in between the, the Porsche and Keith hour there for a little while. And I Sorry. She, she gets in, she gets on a roll, Al, and we, we can't uh, we can't cut her off. It's all like that's why we love you, Porsche. But I mean, how great how great is it of the club to um, to make Keith accessible and uh, and to really be able to connect to a section of their membership uh, database? I just think it's fantastic. Well, first of all, I'd say I was really holding back, so I'd, I'd like that recognised, even if it didn't actually sound like it. Um, but, but yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic to get that sort of access. Um, it'd be great to chat with all sorts of different people at the club if it was possible, even in areas that might sound uninteresting. I'd like to hear what membership does, um, how they compare themselves to others, and that sort of thing, but it'd be really great. Anyway, that was really fun. I hope everyone listening in had a great uh, experience, I guess. Um, and how, was, how was the chat room, Portia? Was it active? It wasn't. Was my, mate, I... was, was my mate Dylan listening tonight? Look, there are a few people listening, but I think they were all just listening because they knew we didn't have room for any more questions, which is, you know, thanks, guys, because we, unfortunately we didn't. We really didn't have room for more questions. We had didn't even get through the ones that we'd selected um, to ask. Uh, yeah. Now, I guess we'll just talk about the bad news. O'Shea's been delisted, yeah. Rick. What's going on? It's... Um... Ah, it's it's a sad day, Portia. Yes. I I know that you're probably crying over your loose leaf tea. Um, yeah. You've been a fan, but I guess it's something that's uh, had to happen for a while. I mean, we've made way with Paul Stewart as well and Cam O'Shea. So mm. we, you know, I guess you could argue whether it should have been Nathan Cracker or Cam O'Shea. Um, but I guess at the end of the day. Um, yeah, we had to uh, we had to make some space, and and the halfback flankers were probably the most expendable. I would have thought. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's really what it comes down to is that, you know, halfback flankers, they, I, I think they have, to be dra- they have to be graded pretty harshly because that's not the hardest position on the field to fill. Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, he certainly seemed to be a popular player around the club. Um, he's had a few little highlights in his off-season before finally getting in the flick, so mm. that's nice at least. And uh, I don't know where his next step is. Maybe he'll end up in another AFL club, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah, um, so I was just going to say, do you think that he's the type of player that will be uh, redrafted, or do you think his skills probably let him down enough to be a concern for other clubs? I think the cons- not not the skills, but just his consistency performance is probably enough for other clubs to query it, unless they have a real deficiency in counter-attacking defenders. Um, mm. There's a couple of clubs maybe in that category. Um, I, I don't really rate Melbourne's counter-attacking defenders, but I also wouldn't suggest they'd get O'Shea either. Um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. Hopefully there is someone else that's saying, yeah, we want him there, but uh, I guess look, it's really hard for a delisted player to get another go these days without having a year of state league to prove they're fixed whatever mm. got them delisted in the first place. Well, he's probably young enough to do a year in the state league and then come back into the AFL system if he's good enough. Well, I mean, he's still young enough, really. But um, again, if he did, he'd have to be pretty stellar, and he'd have to probably go to a team that is trying to, you know, win games right now um, in that event. But you know, it happens. Absolutely. So, well, I saw some people were trying to intimate that Michael Barlow was tweeted in some pictures by uh, some of the Port boys. Do you think uh, Michael Barlow might be an interesting choice for Port, or or should we just sort of avoid him at his at his age and and where we're trying to go? Well, look, I mean, listening to Keith, he seemed like they're all pretty hot on the midfield, so he might be a shot. You know, he's got experience, he's good at a role, um, and he wouldn't be expecting to be a 10-year player at this point in his career. If he had one or two years, I think he'd be pretty stoked. Um, Mm. I guess the question is whether he wants to relocate for one or two years. Um, Maybe he gets a sweetheart deal like um, a Jordan Lewis or a... um, Sam Mitchell, in that it maybe he's promised, yeah, okay, maybe we'll have a bit of work for you after you're done playing as well. Who knows? Well, he's Victorian, so yeah. living in Perth, so it's only a slight detour on the way back home for him, I guess. But um, mm. yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those interesting ones, I guess. If it, if he knows he's coming on to provide a bit of added depth and his his spot isn't locked and loaded for 22 games, um, I mean, he he was a consistent midfielder uh, for Frio, so. Um, you know, and we do need some more consistent midfielders, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other way to look at it is that we might have thought of Barlow, but it, maybe it also depends on what we draft as well. Like, if we go out there and we draft four um, centre square and or, you know, goal-kicking midfielders, then maybe we don't need him so much. But let's let's face it, going by what Keith was saying, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's highly unlikely the coaches are going around to the players saying, well, we're thinking about recruiting Michael Barlow. Um, so uh, I'm sure they probably don't know until uh, draft time unless they're mates with him and he's saying, oh, Port's having a bit of a chat to me. Um, yeah. Well, what as was you your said, takeaway? Sorry? Yeah. As you said, he is from Victoria, say... so he probably has some guys in the same draft year who knows or something like that. That's all the way that would happen. But um... so what, was, what was your takeaway from KT? Um, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. He's got a lot of faith in Jason Cripps, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, yeah. Do you have the same faith in Jason? Look, not at this point. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if, if we're talking about, as Keith said, a seven-year plan, then, you know, he hasn't been doing the list manager job for seven years, and he had a bit of an interruption, a, a very unfortunate one. Um, 
I don't know if that's had any impact. I didn't get to ask the question that I'd sort of prepared a little bit before this, which was asking about the list analyst and innovation manager that we have, apparently, and that Chris has mentioned it. KT actually mentioned in that interview as well. Um, I'd like to know a bit more about what that actually involves and, you know, what, what you know, how how that's actually, we can have faith in that producing results. Because the guy, I couldn't find anything about him Googling him. Michael Regan, I, I don't know anything about him. So... If you're listening, Port Media um, Department, please put something up on the website because it would be interesting to know. <laughs> oh, yeah. maybe, I'll say maybe we might be able to get an interview with him. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was interesting. And I, I think uh, I get the vibe that um, 2017 is going to be a, a make-or-break year uh, yep. for some players and coaches. Yeah, but um, at least, you know, financially, it looks like we can probably weather it. Um, you know, as we said, the memberships aren't dropping off. China's looking all right. And um, China's looking all right at a time that we're not actually losing money as well. So we're not having to compromise on that. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe if, if, we, if, we, if it is an all or nothing year, then maybe if we have the nothing, we can get through it and not have to fold. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we're, I'm sure we're safe on the folding aspect, but um, well, yeah, it's it, there's always the doomsday uh, doomsday aspect to it, isn't there? But um, it was interesting when I asked him the question about the the short, medium, and, and long term expectations. There uh, was pretty grounded, and um, mm. I don't know if, I don't know if it's the club not wanting to talk it up too much because of gathering rival attention. Or trying to, or potentially creating false expectations for the supporter base. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I think we we need to be very. And he seemed to make it intimate that we are being very crafty with our contracts and everything. But yeah, I, I still feel that you know the the big big clubs will want to join on the train, the gravy train of China as soon as they potentially can. I'm sure. Well, I mean, I guess the real concern is that we need to stay financially viable because that's as much what undercut the kangaroos from keeping their position as anything is the fact that they were constantly having to go cap in hand to the AFL to survive. Uh, and every mm. time you go to the AFL for money, they take something. Um, and yeah. if it's exclusivity over China, if Port ever forced to do it at some point, you, you bet that'll be on the table for them. You know, they'll say, oh, I'll give you this. And then, yeah. by the way, we're looking at changing the China arrangement. Is that okay? But, <laughs> Yeah. You know that that that's the thing. So we've got to stay fun. If we stay financial without having to go to the AFL for more money, um, then we can probably keep control. But if we have say three seasons and memberships go off and attendances go down and all sorts of things go wrong, then we might lose it. That's my take. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I really like the strategy myself. I just think mm. I think he's right. I mean, in those other markets which are flooded, it's going to be very difficult for us to get excessive amounts of exposure. Um, we might be able to get micro elements of exposure. And I guess the advantage with China, if we can make it to work, and, and from what I've heard about Andrew Hunter, he's a, he's a, he's a smart cookie and a, and a very clever operator in relation to the China dealings. Um, you know, it's, it's one where we only need to make an impact in a small capacity in such a large market and revenue will flow. And um, and it doesn't matter if the mining sector's decreased at this point in time. There's still a lot of money flying around in China, and mm. uh, so the, there are good opportunities there. So um, uh, I think it's it's worth the gamble in our time and resources if we're just creating a, a separate resource department to handle it um, to give that a go. Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely hope, like I said, I definitely hope we have a longer term plan to target sponsors in China that aren't primary industry. 
Um, we don't want to mm. be tied to that horse. Uh, yeah, we want to we want to be able to diversify, and so that if there is a downturn in mining that affects that sort of thing, that maybe you know the actual corporations that are forming in China and beginning to make more and more money will actually be thinking, hey, we can sell stuff in Australia. Let's talk mm. to Port. That's that's I guess that's the dream. Well, there is a downturn in mining, so yeah, <laughs> just ask the BHP but, and Rio Tinto, so they'll, yeah, uh, they'll tell yeah. you that, but, uh, and ask the people that work in that sector. So, yeah, I'm with you. So if we can start attracting some consumables and, uh, and some financial institutions, and yep, absolutely. what would be great for the uh, Australian economy is some of these overseen, overseas banks um, uh, potentially coming in and providing competitive loan products at lower interest rates. So it might not be great for the bank shareholders, but... It could be very good for the home owner with a mortgage. So, and there was a rumor that Japan was interested. So maybe if some Chinese banks want to get on board, well, that might uh, bring up some awareness in the tour in Australian market and create some competitive advantages for them. Well, I mean, that's really a huge part. I think that's probably be, um, if it happens, it'll probably come after we play that first game in Shanghai and people see what it can be. Um, because Shanghai is being shaped up as China's financial capital, um, increasingly so. So, um, you know, if that is the case and a few financial guys go down and see Port play and they think that's pretty good, then who knows? It could uh, carry on from there. But it's all it's all kind of exciting. Um, yeah. And, and awesome. it'll keep us solvent. So that's good. So is there anything you wanted to uh, finish the show off on? How many shows have we got left for the year now? One more? Oh, oh no, we've got heaps. We've still got the draft ones. We haven't gone through Vic Country, which is t- uh, two podcasts. We've got Vic Metro Under-18s, which is two. We've got WA, which is going to be two. We'll have a phantom draft with um, Mac and myself and Mission Possible. Uh, yes. We'll have a draft review uh, when that happens, and I think there might be another one in there as well, but I'm not remembering right now. But there's a, still a full schedule um, until the end of the draft, and then everyone can get their um, Port Fan Radio um, recovery period over Christmas. All up. All I can say is uh, thank, thank God for you guys knowing something about drafts because I've got no idea. So uh, you, <laughs> you cover you cover me having to waffle for an hour about nothing. So um, it's a good thing. So uh, I'm glad for that. So thank you. It, it's been pretty funny watching the port forums because I think about a month ago, Macca and me and Mission Possible were all trying to keep pretty tight-lipped about what we thought. But now we're all just spilling our guts regularly. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are too excited. You can't see yeah, the yeah. candy store. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was about the Phantom Draft and, you know, maybe winning the Phantom Draft. But no, Mish, Mish is just on a – he's just going now. <laughs> oh, okay. So are you happy? Do you, what, do you think we're getting fed a bit of a sales pitch with these four picks under 31 or – was it a was it a great strategy for us? I'm sure you've probably covered it off a little bit in detail, but I've been pretty busy lately. Look, it's potentially good, but it depends on what they do with the picks. Um, that's the thing. Like for for picks in a draft like this, um, you really want to come out of it. In my view, you really want to come out with a with a theme, something that's going to change your side, because between those four picks, you should hopefully be able to get. If you pick the same kind of player, for example, you should at least hopefully be able to fill one first twenty two position from that group of four. That'd be nice to think for those sort of picks. Um, if it's not a Ruckman or, you know, some sort of big development player, which there's not a lot of anyway. Um, I don't know. If we come if we come out and we've drafted a bunch of sort of one-dimensional outside midfielders and maybe a couple of slow guys or a short guy, like if we come out with that sort of generic best available batch, um, mm. then I think then I'll look at it much more negatively than if we come out of it with a a strong set of draft picks that are building, that change the side, that transform the side. Because that's what this is about. This has to be a transformational draft. 
this has to set the tempo for what Port Adelaide is in the next five, seven years, as we were discussing. So if we come out of it with just sort of a hodgepodge batch of just replacing the guys we've lost, I don't know that we have a real plan. I don't know. Mm. So what do you think? We need to go for a toll? Um, I think we need to decide whether we're going to go for a toll. I'm not. Con- I'm mm. increasingly not. Con- like I don't think it's a draft to do it in any case. But if it is, then maybe we're going for more like 190 centimetre one to 193 centimetre guys that are good lead-up forwards and can maybe play wing a bit or maybe have one of them be a bit contested. So like a Josh Battle would have to be in calculations. Um, mm. you know, do we go Or do we go for genuine, like, you know, Jared Schofield-esque goal-kicking mids? Because we're really low on those, and they are hugely important to a game plan mm. like ours, in my view. I think that's probably the way we should go, and I think it's the way we will try and go. I was going to say, do you think maybe we'll, we'll just try and get the best mid first and then uh, roll the dice with all the tools that are available for the other three and see how we go from there? I kind of think if you're doing... One tall, or one something. I think if you're going to go early and just pick one or something, you probably pick one tall, um, and then you can probably do the rest mids with the other picks. I don't know. It really depends on who's available because you know there's always going to be some surprises on draft day. But um, yeah, mm. well, look, awesome. We've been going a while, uh, and the longer we talk, the longer it's going to take to edit and get out to people to listen to on the way on the on the goal line on the way to work or whatever yes, else. It will. So, um, it was a pretty smooth interview, though, so there should be a bit of more editing for you. Yeah, I think it went all right. We didn't swear. Neither of us swore. I'm pretty pleased with that. <laughs> that's because we, ca- we had casual on, so we had to be casual and laid back. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Hmm. Yeah. I better, right. go, uh, check. I be- I better go check my frittata that's in the oven. Oh, yeah. Enjoy that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the burnt rock solid um, <laughs> egg bake that I've made. It's all about timing, Rick. It is all about timing. But thanks, everyone, for the support throughout the year, and thanks to the yeah. club for giving us the people that have been on. Um, thanks to uh, to you and Macca and also the other shows. I, I don't know how much else I'll be on uh, uh, for the remainder of the year because it's not really my skill set. So um, thanks to everyone that's uh, been involved from me, and uh, I hope we've provided some value for the port supporters again. And, uh, yeah, we'll have a few more different things next year and uh, really, really excited for it. And, Hopefully, uh, we might even get a couple more shows on or something that would be really good and a bit more content. Yeah, and look, thanks, Rick, and thank you, New Vision. It's, you know, you've spearheaded this thing pretty much, and it's been really enjoyable for me to do. I just sort of tagged on and got lucky, um, but it's just been really enjoyable. And like you say, it's providing an alternative to tuning into 5AA and then just trying not to spend your whole time punching the table. Um, it's, 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 it's an alternative and hopefully we can expand it and make it a bit more useful as well. Absolutely. And you never know, maybe video will be next. Not with me, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not shy for the camera, so uh, no, I'll be happy fine. to take a hit for the team and, uh, and yeah. do video. So, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll roll that one out slowly but surely. But I know, I know Ryan Pillar's really keen on the video. So, um, We'll, uh, we'll see what we can do there in the in the 2017. All right. Well, look, we'll wrap it up. Awesome. And I guess just a final Khan Power, Khan Casual Keith. Go Cash, the vegetarian. Go Cash, go Fiji. Veggie Cash. Veggie Cash. Good work, Keithy boy. Punched away by Michael at ground level. Here's a chance for Stevens. Stevens goes high and long towards the goal square. Two or two. Back. 
What a classic. Roger James gets his second.